Hey everyone, I'm Laura Steiner and I'm a junior at Rosemont High School. I used to go to Eastview, so when I transferred, I wanted to meet new people at my school and more importantly, people with the same belief system as me. I was involved in FCA at Eastview High School and I knew Rosemont had an FCA as well, but I was too nervous to go because I thought I wouldn't know anyone. I saw the Fields of Faith, Faith announcement in the worship folder last week and I knew that some of my friends from Eastview FCA would be there, so I felt more comfortable and I thought this would be a great opportunity to meet other people who believed in Jesus. Since it was raining, the event was held in the high school gym. I walked into a little unorganized group and I felt uncomfortable. I was even about to leave but I didn't know, because I didn't know as many people as I thought I would. But before I moved, this amazing band started playing worship songs and more people started to come and I realized these people were coming because they love God. After the worship band was done, some student leaders from all the schools stood up and shared their favorite scripture and why they liked it. Then a student from my school stood up and boldly shared his faith story. He told us about his struggle with depression and even suicidal thoughts in the past, and he would not be here today if someone didn't share the love of God with him. He was so inspiring to talk publicly about something so personal and not be afraid of what others would think of him. Then the speaker of the evening came up, and he was the youth leader at Crossroads Church. Right off the bat, he was funny and engaged us. He was so on fire for Jesus. And then he said something that really hit me. He said we can be a Christian on the outside, but inside we are dry. What I think he meant by that was we see people in the hallways every day who are struggling and hurting, and we just pass by them because it feels too uncomfortable to talk to them and let them know that someone cares for them. It hit me that I am dry inside, and I don't face those uncomfortable things with the strength that God already provides me. He then talked about breathing the life of Jesus into our schools and being bold and stepping forward. He then asked us to step forward and be bold by going and praying with people we didn't know, as well as people from our rival schools. I was so nervous about that because it is hard for me to be bold and pray with people you don't know. Actually, I have a hard time even praying out loud, but I stepped forward. I nervously approached some other people. I didn't pray first, but as people started praying, I could feel the Holy Spirit fill the room. I was still hesitating, and I wasn't sure I could pray, but then I felt the Holy Spirit give me the words to say. And after the prayer, we continued singing and worshiping God. I started thinking how many people I've let pass by me when I noticed things weren't okay, but I passed by because it wasn't the right time, or I was in a hurry, or I was just too scared out of my comfort zone. I decided last Monday I was not going to live that life anymore. I'm going to live with boldness because Jesus is enough for me. Jesus doesn't promise life will be easy, but he promised us that he will be enough for us. Thank you for letting me share my story today. Thanks, Laura. I was reading a, a book by uh, an author named David Platt, and he writes in Radical a similar story that seems appropriate for us to open today. He writes, Inside all the blinds closed in the windows of a dimly lit room, 20 leaders from different churches gathered in an area, and they sat on a circle on the floor with their Bibles open. Some of them had sweat on their foreheads after they walked miles to get there. Others were covered in dust from the villages in which they had to ride their bikes on and through. Others came early in the morning. They gathered in secret. They arrived at this house at different times throughout the morning so that no one would know that this meeting was happening. They lived in a country in Asia where it was illegal for them to gather like this, and if they were caught, they could lose their homes, their families, 
their jobs, their land, maybe even their lives. One man sat in the corner, and he had a strong frame. He kind of stood as head of security, if you will. Um, But every time there was a knock at the door or every time there was a noise outside the window, the room got completely quiet, and everyone got kind of tense, and he would check to see if everything was okay. When it was, they would go back, and, and then in the silence he spoke, and soon his tough appearance exposed a very tender heart. And he said this, he said, some people in my church have been pulled away by a cult. They, this particular cult has been known for, for capturing believers and, and taking them to isolated locations and torturing them. Some of these people have even had their tongues cut out so that they won't talk about Jesus anymore. And then he just stopped and his face welled up with tears and he said, I'm hurting. I need God's grace to help lead my church through these attacks. Then a woman on the other side of the room sat up and spoke next, and she said, some of the members of my church have been recently confronted by government officials. They've been threatened to stop gathering to study the Bible. If they don't, they're going to lose everything they have. She asked for prayer, and she said, I need to know how to lead my church to follow Jesus when it's going to cost them everything. Now everyone in the room was in tears. And and these struggles that were expressed by this man and this woman, they weren't the only ones in the room. And so one by one, they got on their knees and they said, we need to pray. With their knees on the ground and their faces on the floor, they began to cry out to God. Their prayers were not really fancy. They didn't have a lot of theological language in them. They just had heartfelt praise. They pleaded with things like, oh God, thank you for loving us. Oh God, we need you. Jesus, we give our lives to you. Jesus, we trust you. They wept audibly before God as one leader after another leader after another leader prayed. After about an hour, the room started to go quieter and quieter. And soon they rose from the floor And where they sat, there were puddles of tears where they had prayed together. Now, when you hear the word boldness, what do you think of? I mean, do you think of Laura and her awesome story from the fields of faith? Which is really cool. Do you think of these church leaders in Asia? Maybe this week you think of Steve Jobs, who was fired from his job only to come back, take the company back, and literally transform the digital age. Um, It's hard for me not to think of Lance Armstrong, who beat cancer and then came back to win a 21-day, over 2,000-mile bike ride seven years in a row. But to me, those stories are are inspiring stories of inspiring people, and and they're great. Yes, they're a boldness, but even more so when it's about Jesus. I'm sure several of you, maybe all of us, can picture someone who radically changed when they come to truly understand who Jesus is. And in the days after this, this new person in Jesus, everywhere they go, they want to talk about Jesus. They want to tell everyone about Jesus and about what he's done for them. And they're just going on and on, and it's a good thing. And then weeks pass, and this person doesn't judge their friend's lifestyle, but yet their whole lifestyle changed. One by one, things are changing, and it's transforming. It's bold. It's radical. 
And then years pass. And then all of a sudden, the friend doesn't seem so bold anymore. All of a sudden, or maybe not so suddenly, even though they still believe in Jesus, something kind of stalls out. You know, Laura used the term, this, this pastor seemed really on fire and kind of like a blazing fire, this, this flame that was raging gets a little dimmer and a little dimmer and suddenly we just see the embers and the boldness isn't quite so blazing anymore. And the question really is what happened? Like where's the boldness? And that's what I want to talk about today because maybe some of us are there. Maybe somewhere along the way, your life and your faith kind of stalled out. Or, or maybe, honestly, if you really looked into your heart, you'd say, I've never felt the boldness that you're describing right now. I just, I just haven't. Either way, whichever place you, you fall into, um, the question is still worth answering today. Kind of where's the boldness? And as we start this Marks of a Follower series last week, I want us to think of a target, or I want us to think of a destination. I don't want us to think report card or scorecard. This destination is kind of what is the essence of someone who follows Jesus? What do they look like? What do they think like? What do they act like? That's where we're going. And this book of Colossians in the New Testament really speaks to this same thing. We started it last week and we're going to jump right into chapter 2. So if you have your Bible, I encourage you to to read right from there. I think we have it on the screen too, um, which is fine, but it's way cooler to read in your own Bible because you might just want to take some notes in there. So as we go into chapter 2, again, think about what the writer's trying to say to this particular band of people who are new followers in Jesus. Chapter 2, the writer says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who've not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have a full, the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in the body, I am present in the Spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. I mean, this writer to these people in Colossae and in Laodicea, which is about 10 to 12 miles away, um, he wants these followers to be encouraged, united, completely understand that the hidden treasure is Jesus. I don't know about you, but that sounds a lot like boldness to me. Encouraged, united, completely understand this. And yet, in verse 4, it says that something's up. In verse 4, it says, I tell you this so no one will deceive you. Now, smart people that we call scholars or biblical scholars, they kind of debate how much deception was going on here. But overall, I don't think the writer's saying you completely missed it. In fact, the writer says how firm their faith is, how disciplined they are, how firm their faith is in Christ. So there's not, like, they're not completely off track. 
I would say they're, they're firm in their faith, but I don't think they're bold in their faith. I don't think maybe they were bold because, because I think they lacked confidence in who Jesus is. And as we talk about what the kind of possible historical context is, don't just think of it as first century that was going on for the Colossians. Think about how true is that in my life too. But again, I think that maybe they weren't bold because they lacked confidence in who Jesus was. Look at verse 4. I tell you this so no one may deceive you with fine-sounding arguments. How about verse 8? Skip down the page. It says, See to it that no one takes you captive by hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces of the world rather than Jesus. Verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or what you drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. How about verse 18? Don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Or verse 20, since you died with Christ and to the elemental spiritual forces in this world, why do you act like you still belong to the world by following these rules like do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. See, I think there was a lot of lack of confidence in who Jesus was. There's, there's a lot of debate now on what exactly this opposition looked like. Like, was it cultural pagan practices? Was it a bunch of Jews trying to bully the new believers in Jesus? Was it some Eastern or maybe Greek mystery cult? Great questions to ask in your life group, by the way. I'm not just trying to say that to get you in a life group. Well, maybe I am. But also not just trying to say that to get out of talking about it. Um, But we could go on and on, and there's lots of good literature on it, and I'd be happy to talk to you about it. But I don't think that's really the point of what exactly the opposition was. I think there was opposition, and it had the potential to pull them away from their new faith in Jesus. Now, I don't think most of us are going to experience the kind of opposition that look like this. I don't think most of us are going to experience these cultural pagan practices. I don't think most of us are going to experience a bunch of Jews trying to bully us out of our Christian faith. I don't think most of us are going to end up near Eastern or Greek mystery cults, maybe. But but in this culture that they lived in, It was very Roman. Roman Empire, huge. And when you greeted someone, it was, good day, Caesar is Lord. And if you didn't respond with, yes, Caesar is Lord, you were going to be in trouble. And yet, the Christians developed a new phrase. When they'd say, good day, Caesar is Lord, they'd go, good day, Jesus is Lord. They understood that Jesus was bigger than Caesar. Now, the Jews who were likely trying to bully these new believers to say, like, you know what? You're not in God's favor. You, you have to practice this, and you have to follow these dietary laws, and you have to por- perform these certain Jewish religious things like circumcision and Jewish new moon festivals. That's the only way this faith is really going to work for you. That could have been happening. Very likely could have been happening. Now, now fast forward to today, into your life, into my life, into our lives. Aren't there people who are trying to add to Jesus? Um, 
like maybe the Latter-day Saints that come over to your house and knock on your door. I always find, hey, it's someone new to talk to because you know how much I like to talk. But maybe you don't love it when they come to your door, but I do, and they come to the door, and, and I say, you know, I'm a Christian, and they say, that's okay, I'm a Christian too. Oh, yeah? So what does that look like for you? Well, you believe in Jesus. Awesome, I'm with you there. Well, and you need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to do this. Oh, well, maybe I'm not doing enough. Maybe, that, maybe I miss something. If we lack confidence in who Jesus is, we can start to ask that question. Um, or maybe it's, you know, our friends in the, the self-help business who say, you know, Jesus is great. You need Jesus, but you also need to do this, and you also need to work at this, and you also need to work at this, and you really just need to let go of that. And, and all of a sudden, we start to get a little overwhelmed, and we think we've got to work on more and more stuff. But regardless of what that opposition was and what the opposition is in our life, I think the answer is still the same. I think the answer is exactly what Paul said in in verse 9. And this is kind of the crux of the whole book is found right around verse 9. It says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Maybe in another translation it says, For in Christ God in his fullness, resides in a human body. And in Christ, we've been brought into this fullness or this completeness. In fact, he's the head over every power and authority. And in him, we were circumcised, not with a performed circumcision of human hands. And then he goes on to talk about a very Jewish way of saying, your sins are forgiven. And so that whole circumcision with human hands is really just a way that says, you know what, you used to be over here apart from God, but now you're connected to God. You are in, your sins are forgiven. And so we can have a confidence in who Jesus is. To the Romans who would, who would go up to people and say, Caesar is Lord, these new followers of Jesus could say, you know what, Jesus is Lord. To the to the Greeks and the, the pagans and the, the Eastern mystery cults that would be talking about lots and lots and lots of different gods, the Christians could say, no, Jesus is the one true God. Jesus is the one true God. He is the Lord of lords. He is the King of kings. He is the God above every other God. So if we're having boldness problems, I think number one, we have to remember that we're complete in Jesus. We're complete in Christ. It doesn't mean we're arrogant, but it can mean we have confidence that Jesus alone is enough. If you still have a hard time with that, uh, when I think of boldness and when I think of confidence, uh, it's really hard for me not to go back to seventh grade and think of David Haller. Now, who is David Haller, and why do you remember his name after 20 years? Well, I'll tell you why. Because I was the third smallest kid in my school, and David was the last smallest kid. So I knew there was two other ones, and David was one of them. But unlike David, uh, who didn't get put in lockers, who didn't get shoved in trash cans, who didn't get his multiple books knocked down the hall, who wasn't afraid to walk down the hall, I'm, I'm, I'm done, you get the picture, um, David not only didn't have any of those things happen, but David had this unbelievable ability, hmm, I want to make sure I say this right, to boldly express not-so-popular opinions of people and things 
and not get beat up for it. I was really hoping Jerome would be here so he could just stand behind me for this illustration, or Don Broughton, because he's gigantic. Why? Because, because David Haller had Tyler Ross. Now, in preschool, kindergarten, right around four years old, and I have the picture to prove it at home, uh, Tyler Ross looked like he was a fifth grader. By seventh grade, Tyler was over six feet tall and over 250 pounds and shaved. I mean, nobody messed with Tyler Ross. Nobody. And because Tyler had David's back, guess what? Nobody messed with David. Now, if we have some, if we have some boldness problems, I think in in a little bit more holy way, but I don't know how much, but in a little bit more holy way, I think Jesus is a little bit like Tyler. I mean, look at, look at verses 13 and 14 and 15. It says, we're dead because of our sins and because our sinful nature wasn't cut away and yet God made us alive in Christ. He canceled the record of debt against us. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. And in the same way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. And he shamed them publicly by his victory over the cross. Like, I know we're supposed to think of Jesus as peaceful. I know we're supposed to think of Jesus as holy and good and righteous, and he is. But when I read those words, those sound a little bit more victorious. Those sound a little bit more Tyler Rosh-ish. And that's who's got our back. If, if we have boldness problems, maybe it's because of how we view Jesus. Maybe we kind of view him as our good luck charm or our get-out-of-hell-free card. Maybe we don't view him as the king of the world and the creator of the universe. And if that's you, I just challenge you to read the Gospels. I would say, let's start in John. The Gospel of John, one chapter a day for 21 days. And, and we'll give you grace periods. So just finish before Thanksgiving. So that's like four or five weeks. One chapter a day in the Gospel of John to find out who this picture of Jesus is. But I'm not sure that's the only reason some of us aren't bold. I think some of us aren't bold because we're, we're kind of stuck in our sin. And what I mean by that is not to point fingers at what you do or for you to point fingers at what I do. What I, what I just think I mean by that is is that when we look at the mark of boldness, the reason we're not bolder is because we do the same stuff that our friends who don't know Jesus do. We're stuck in the same stuff. We're falling into the same traps. And, and we, we think we can get ourselves out of it. And we think if we don't get ourselves out of it, then we, then we can't be bold. And that goes right back to that deceptive, captive thinking that verse 8 talks about. Don't let anyone take you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy that depends on human tradition. So some of us think we just believe this lie that if we're good enough, then all of a sudden God accepts us. And when we're not good enough, God doesn't accept us. And so we have this yo-yo back and forth of, oh, I'm good, I'm good enough, and now I can come to church because I'm good enough, and oh gosh, I'm not good enough, so now I can't come to church. And it's back and forth, and, and that's just not the truth of the Bible. The truth of the Bible is that God died for sin, in Christ. Their sin, my sin, your sin. It's not about cleaning ourselves up. 
it's, it's, it's those verses back to 13 and 14 that he cancels the record of debt. The great big IOU is gone. Why is it gone? Because Jesus nailed it to the cross. It's paid. It's, it's done. We don't have to keep going back to it. We don't have to keep locking ourselves into this thinking of, I have to work on this more. That's why we can, I think, why we can have boldness. Now, in closing, how can we have boldness? I think it comes right down to verses 6 and 7 of the same chapter. Colossians 2.6 says, Just as you've received Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. Just as you receive Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you're taught, overflowing with thankfulness. Now, now it's really easy for us to read that and think, oh, you know what that means? Receive Christ as Lord. That means that I make a decision to believe in Jesus as my king. I make a decision to make him Savior and Lord, and then I start working at living my life for Jesus. Right? That's how I thought when I read it. I did a little research, and it's actually not referring to making a decision in my head to make Jesus Savior. It's actually referring to receiving a tradition, and this is a really Jewish thing to do. So to receive a tradition is like a rabbi giving all of his teachings to his student, and the student receives that tradition. It means they they take and own all of those things. It's like a grandmother who tells all the family stories to the oldest daughter. And now she has those stories. And one day she will pass those stories on. That's what it's talking about here. So to receive this tradition is more like receiving Christ as Lord is more like being enveloped into the Jesus that we find in the pictures of the Old Testament covenant and the Old Testament law and the Old Testament stories. It's the receiving Jesus' life, the life he lived on the earth, the teachings, the, the miracles. It's, it's receiving Jesus in his death on the cross before Pontius Pilate. It's receiving the resurrection of Jesus as he rises up. It's the receiving of Jesus reigning in heaven and one day returning. It's receiving all that. So it's more like jumping in a river than getting a question right on a test. And I just missed that for a really long time. I just thought Jesus was, was something I got right on a test, and if I got it right, I could feel good about it, and I knew I'd be with he- in him in heaven. And I missed this whole idea of receiving the tradition, which is jumping in the river, which is getting in the flow of God. And, and when we do that, when we look at verses 7, we see all these action verbs rooted built up, strengthened, overflowing, and yet those aren't self-action. Those are actually passive words. So look at it. Meaning God does these things. God roots us. God builds us up. God strengthens us. God causes us to overflow. So how do we live boldly? I think we live boldly like, by just letting God shine through. And I know that sounds really maybe cliche or maybe too easy. But as I looked over and over at this, I think this is it. Like, we wonder why the light won't turn on when we buy a new lamp. 
and we put a new bulb in it and we're like, gosh, it just won't turn on. What's the deal? And then someone we love like rolls their eyes at us and goes and plugs it in. And we go, oh, this is what I think it means. It means plug it in. So we know we're complete in Christ. That's how we can live boldly, by knowing that Jesus is enough, that he is the one true God. We can live boldly in Christ by leaving the sin behind us. And we can live boldly by just jumping into the flow of God. The whole thing. That's how I think we can live boldly. And would you pray with me? And see, like, everyone just said, oh yeah, they're going to bow their head, you're going to bow your head. Um, no, I think there's one more thing and Laura's going to come up. And we talked about this and I'm like, ooh, this is scary. Um, but I think it's a really good thing. So Laura, um, why don't you tell us how we're going to pray together? So as Rob was saying, isn't it funny how often we say, I will pray for you, but we don't often just stop right there and pray. Today, I want to challenge us to pray for each other right now, that we could boldly follow Jesus this week. I realize some of you might be a little nervous, but if I can do it, you can do it too. Remember, we are here because we are seeking God and because we are continuing to learn and know that God loves us and wants his best for us. Besides, the Holy Spirit is here with us, and he can give you the words if you need them and you, if you just ask them. I have given prayer, maybe. Um, if you need a little more encouragement, it will be on the screen. So just find three to six people and offer your name if you didn't meet, but then jump right into prayer, and the worship team will come up in a few minutes to close our time. As we go, as we stand here, may our souls be surrendered to Jesus. May we be able to say this week that all we are is yours, God. May it just overflow, not because we manufactured any of it, but because God has rooted us, has built us up, has strengthened us, and may you go and overflow this week. Have a wonderful week. See you next time. Thanks.